God, I come before you and um, I know in my own strength I am insufficient for the task at hand. I've worked and I'm kind of tired. My brain's a little bit foggy. It doesn't seem as clear as or sharp. My mouth seems dry. But I also know you are a very, very good God. And your desire is always to be a blessing to the body. And you desire for each of us to press in to take hold of what you have to offer in the world, in the word, through your Holy Spirit for your glory. So, uh, Father, I just pray that your word would speak forth. That you would shake us up, just as we sang in worship. Shake up our religion, shake up our understanding, break down the walls, traditions, everything that we could think of, that we would take hold of what you have to offer. That you would get every bit of the glory you deserve. Thank you for what you've done this past weekend. Thank you that every day you are faithful and true. Faithful in all of your ways. Help us to walk in confidence in that. To know that in all things you will work things out to good. To know that in all things you will make the best of it for our best. We don't see it. We need your help to see it. So help us with that. Your way is always better. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you can turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll start with the first two verses. Now I, Paul, myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent... And bold toward you. But I beg you that when I'm present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. So Paul starts out chapter 10, and I want to give a little bit of a background. We've talked, and it's been a few weeks, the last two chapters, 8 and 9, we've talked about giving and the heart of giving. In the beginning, Paul was basically indicating his credentials or, you know, what, what, where his heart was. In chapter 10, Paul's going to change focus, okay? The next few chapters, it's going to be a little stronger. He's really coming down and letting him know, okay, I've been really gentle. And he even here, he says, when I'm before you, I'm pretty meek and I'm pretty mild, I'm gentle. And his heart was there. And we've talked about that. He cared for the church. But when he was away, like in the first letter in Corinthians, he wrote some strong things and talked to them what to do. And so when he's away, he's stronger. He's like much more to the point, basically saying, okay, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, those of us who come here to Lighthouse for a while are familiar with messages like that, <laughs> okay? We've certainly heard that from Pastor Jeff and, and Brother Glenn. Okay, but what he wants to let you know is the same thing is here. This is not something he's communicating in the flesh. He's not yelling or getting angry because he thinks that's the best way for you to understand. It's the passion that God motivates in him. 
there's something within the heart that God does with him that makes him say it in that manner, in that mode. And so the thing we have to get from that, the take home for us is there is something that God will stir in us, a boldness of being able to speak when it's the right season, the right time. Okay? It needs to be done under the power of the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, it will be flesh. That's what Paul's talking about. So continually, every day, we're confronted by, are we going to walk in the flesh, or are we going to walk in the Spirit? This weekend, we had the privilege of understanding, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What does it mean to have the blinders take off our eyes? What does it mean that we could speak to others in a way that talks about the goodness of Christ with the boldness that he's given us? God sets the captives free, but he uses us for that purpose. It's kind of crazy. He could do it on his own, like that. But he's chosen the frail things. He's chosen the weak things, the incompetent things, the broken things, so that his glory may be maximized. He gets more glory out of working through weak and poor vessels than he does out of those who can do it on their own. Because it'll be pretty obvious, what? That it was God. Anything that points to God, anything that gives glory to God is what he's going to be after. Not because he's a selfish God, because he is a selfless God. And when he's glorified, we are blessed. When he's glorified, the whole universe is aligned. So that's something we have to get. And so that's what Paul's going to talk about in everything. So he's pleading with them, and he talks about meekness. And we've talked before, this kind of meekness is not like a doormat meek. This is restrained power. Okay, this is a mighty horse. If you see some of the stallions, that's been tamed. Still has that power, still can do things, but has chosen to be restrained. Okay, And that's what Paul's talking about. The meekness that he's calling us to do is not to be a doormat, but restrained power. Dunamos is the Greek word for that power. Okay. Let's move on to the next three verses. And you could do a whole sermon on the next three verses, and we're going to cover a lot, so let's pay attention to it. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts against itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing some, no, 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 it's not some, it's every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. That last sentence is strong, and we haven't really talked about that, but we'll get to that too. If you want something to memorize within this chapter, that's a pretty good three verses to memorize. That's a good guideline for us. 
I read this from one of the authors, um, Guzik. He said, Paul's concern for the church at Corinth, as it would be indeed for us, is simply that the imagination of the mind, the process of thinking, the way of reasoning, the method of logic, the understanding of things which a man adopted in his unconverted days become projected into the fellowship of the church and the church begins to fail in its spiritual battle because it adopts carnal procedures. The process of victory which our Lord taught his disciples was this, that if you cease to resist in the realm of carnality, then you are resisting automatically in the realm that is spiritual. And in this way, you overcome the enemy. Resist, counterattack, deal with the situation upon the same level that the world deals with it, then you're defeated. But to refuse to follow the principle of life, taking up rather the principle of the cross. So the thing to appreciate is so much of the church, particularly the American church in the last 40, 50 years, has been let's do strategies of what we need to do. If there's, you know, 80% of the seats are filled, well, you need to build some a bigger place because people will be uncomfortable. They don't want to sit beside each other. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. All these different things, what you need to do. Affinity-based church, okay, you've got to have a church that people like to, so if this is your thing and your strength, that's what you need to promote so you can market yourself to get people to come to your church so they don't go somewhere else. You need to make it easy and comfortable so you can be seeker-sensitive. And I went for the training at Willow Creek to what it means to be seeker-sensitive. Okay, it implies that people seek God, but none of us seek God. None are righteous. That's what the word says. So we're appealing to carnality. We're appealing to the flesh. The Greek word sarks. Okay, and what he's saying, Paul's saying is, if you have that kind of mindset, that kind of reasoning, that's what we need to do to live, you're going to be defeated. Because who we fight against is the enemy. We fight against Satan. Okay? And Satan has been here on this world for thousands of years. Guess what? He knows how men operate. He knows uh, men better than we do. Okay? He knows our hearts in many ways better than we know our hearts. God knows it the only way, purely. But so much of what he knows, he understands because he's seen men. He knows how men think. Okay? And his strategy is always going to be to appeal to the flesh. To appeal to our understanding, our reasoning, our logic, our thinking. And if we choose to operate in that same way, we've lost. We're defeated. We have no chance to win. He's better at this game, much better. Okay? But thanks God, we don't have that. We have another way. So everything we talk about, his way is better. Everything we talked about, about surrendering, about trusting, like we're worshiping, this is the point where it comes to bear. This is when the rubber meets the road. It's in the midst of that. So we wake up every morning in a battle. The take-home message, we wake up every morning in a battle. You have the choice every morning to decide, ah, flesh day, spirit day. Guess what? And it's a decision you make all throughout the day. Flesh moment, spirit moment. Flesh moment, spirit moment. Okay? We have that. Who of us have been in the spirit all day long? Yeah, I haven't. Yeah, maybe pastor, but maybe not. 
<laughs> I haven't. Okay? Literally came back, and he was laughing. This was a baby Christian. Came back from this great fasting and prayer conference in Los, Los Angeles, Bill Bright. I mean, there's so many big speakers there. Big thing, 5,000 people in this huge convention area. Came back, and I'm quibbling over that dime that I think Taco Bell charged me. And the guy with the middle, he's laughing. He said, you were just at this fasting prayer conference, and you now have a chance to eat, and you're quibbling over a dime? And I realized, in the flesh, my own reasoning, my own understanding, it happened like that. That's the point you're taking. It can happen in a moment. One moment in the spirit praying God, the next moment in my own thinking. We all have that. Okay? That's the battle. Okay? And so we have to be prepared for that battle. We have to be ready for that battle. Okay? And Ephesians talks about what? How to be girded for that battle. Right? In Ephesians chapter 6. Right? And it talks about, for the weapons are not carnal. So what are the things? We have the belt of truth. Right? Now, Paul's, I'm going to talk about a comparison. This is what Paul's trying to address within the Corinthian church, but this happens with every church, with everything of reasoning of man. You could have the complaint against the Corinthians is, instead of the belt of truth, they were using manipulation. You know, if you love Jesus, you'd be here more often. You'd help more. When your day's off, you'd be helping out at the church. If you love Jesus, you'd be sweeping on the sidewalk and washing things down and taking care of everything here. Okay? Instead of the breastplate of righteousness, the image of success. Look at how many people we've had. Look how good our offerings are. We're doing well. We've planted this many things. We're, I mean, this many messages. We have this many contacts. Look how many people are on our website. Okay? Come on, subscribe so we can get 100,000 or a million. Guess what? We have maybe have 50, 60 people listen to our messages. We're definitely not out there. Okay? So we do all this stuff and put the video... We even did the lighting that I wanted, and we have like 50 people that were doing it. Yeah, yeah. Image of success. We definitely don't have it. Instead of the shoes of the gospel of peace, which is what he called us to, right? They talk with smooth words. They say things to tickle your ears. You go to messages, and it's good. It's lifting up. You know, God wants to be prosperous. You know, he's a good God. He wants to be wealthy and content. Yeah, go ahead, get that. You know, drive that nice Mercedes. God's intent. You doing well? Smooth words that we appeal to our flesh. What else do they do? Instead of the shield of faith, they fought for the perception of power of those who have status. Those people who just care about the image they have. Look, I'm this, I'm that within the church. I'm this head. And they can put it on their resume or indicate what they did this is all about exaltation of self and instead of the helmet of salvation this was a big complaint that paul had they started to lord over their authority and you see that dominance it's what paul was trying to address it's not about the dominance authority is never about dominance god is the master of the universe he comes as a baby, as Jesus, and he comes to serve. It's not about dominance. It's not about whether you listen to me or do what I say. Even Paul's saying, I don't want you to listen to me because I'm just trying to dominate you. I'm here to serve you. And so the kind of leadership, you may have heard of it, servant leadership means to bless and to serve as Jesus did. 
you know, he comes in, and what does he do? He, Jesus comes, calls the disciples, and he puts the robe around his waist, bends down, and washes his disciples' feet. So the God of the universe is washing these dullards. I mean, they're kind of dopey. Their feet. That's the kind of God we have. You know, I'm the kind of guy who goes, okay, yeah, you can take care of me. Yeah, yeah, feed me, help me. But that's not the God we have. Okay, and that's the example that's set before us. When you talk about the battle of the flesh versus the spirit, the spirit serves. The flesh always takes. The flesh always takes. It consumes. It's ravenous. Ravenous. And lastly, instead of the sword of the spirit, they fought about human schemes and programs. And when you're bigger churches, you get to see that, okay, I'll do that for you and support you. It's almost like political wrangling. Then you can help me with what I'm doing. Oh, you can't have that. How come the music ministry gets an extra budget? Like, I'm going to stay spent on that. We got to have that for... Lighting. I like lighting. So we can have that for lighting. Right? That's the kind of thing that's based on who gets dominant. Who's the top dog? Who, I only, but in that case, it'd be, I want my fair share. It's not fair. Often we said, it's not fair. They get that, and we don't get that? That's not fair. Yeah, it's not fair what Jesus did. When Jesus died on the cross, that's not fair. It's not fair to God. Can we be the same? So, um, I want you to understand a little bit also about how easy it is for us to slip into our own reasoning and thinking. Because this is the battle we have. So we have this armor, right? So who is our first foe? ourselves right the first one we have to kill is our flesh ourselves okay even the devil yes he's our foe but we just have to stand and pray to god god's the one who defeats sword of the spirit the only weapon of offense was is the word of god we don't get to defeat the devil in our own strength right just like that guy there in the axe and he says, like, tries to rebuke him. He goes, Peter, I know. Paul, I know. I don't know you. And they defeated him because he didn't have the spirit. Only the spirit has power over the enemy. And the spirit has complete power. Right? Walk in the spirit and the devil will what? He'll flee. Right? Flee from you. Okay, so the thing is, where is our power? The power is going to be in just what we read in 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. So our power and strength is in the cross. The testimony of what Jesus did for us. Not that we're righteous that we can argue and debate, but that we're unrighteous, redeemed by a righteous God gratefully done so and so our power is in the cross it says our power is in the cross the power of the god the power of the holy spirit is through the cross 
It is the Holy Spirit, absolutely. Made available through the cross. In 1 John verses 5, 4, and 5, whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? He who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So that shield of faith. But our, so what we believe in the right thinking, remembering the sacrifice of the cross every day. Who of us remembers that every day? It's hard. I may remember it in my morning quiet time. But in the middle of my day when I'm doing my thing, yeah, I don't pay much attention to it. That's my bad. So I can remember the cross throughout the day and in faith of what Jesus did. And remember that, grateful and thankful. The more I do that, thank you, Jesus. We sing it here, we worship. Your way is better. Thank you, your way is better. I'm walking down the hall. Your way is better. Thank you, Jesus. And so what I'm trying to give us is practical message we need to have about how do we incorporate what we've learned, what we know into our daily practice throughout the day. And the more we walk, that's how you walk in the spirit, through faith that Jesus is son of God and he has empowered us to preach the word, the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the cross, it's rooted in the cross. That's the good news, that that's available to everybody. Um, let's go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 to 8. This is the attitude that God's called us to have to fight, as Jesus did. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That humility, that's what God wants from us. As Jesus was humble, that's what he wants for us. And we boast, and we talk about what we can do. Paul could. He talked about, he learned under Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was on a fast track to be the head honcho in the, um, not the Sanhedrin, whatever the group was that they were in, the Sanhedrin, I think, yeah. So he was doing really well, and he gave it all up. He says, I count it all rubbish, trash, compared to learning about Jesus. Do I count what I go through my day and what I do as trash? No, I don't. That's what God's asking of us. This world's going to pass away. Are we focused and attached to this world, or are we focused on the kingdom? Do we want our things and our stuff? I do. Or are we willing to hold on to it lightly? let go to know these things don't matter as much the only way we're going to be able to fight the fight that's ahead of us is on our knees humble before God 
It's going to take something we've not been able to do. It's going to take a deeper level of surrender. We, we sing the songs, God's preparing the body. It's going to take us to step in a way that we've never done, to really fall down in a way we've never done, to ask God to fill us in a way that we've not permitted before. It's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about that, and I know many came forward Sunday night. I can't emphasize enough. If you have a prayer language, please pray as much as possible in the Spirit because it will go beyond your understanding. When you pray in your, I'm not saying don't pray in English in the way that you normally pray. By all means, do. But I don't know about you, but I'm praying and then suddenly I draw a blank. I don't know what to pray about. I think I've covered it. How many times I have to say the same thing? Got to pray for my roommate and got to pray for the kids. And, you know, I've done the prayer thing. Got to pray for where I work. And I've said those things. Pray in the spirit. Let God flow through you and just pray. And then any assurance will come back and you'll pray again in ways that you understand. And then you go back in the spirit again. And your prayers will be much more fruitful. And guess what? You won't be worn out. You won't be worn out. I'm not worn out when I pray in tongues. I pray in the thing. It's like, oh, I, I got to think. I got to focus. And when you pray in that, it just kind of flows. And you're energized. But more importantly, God is changing you. When you pray in the Spirit, God affects a change of your heart and a change of your soul, conforming you to the image of Christ. That's the power because God knows what we need. And we basically say, okay, I'm here, do your operation. Okay, when you're in the operating table, people are not awake. You don't get to tell them what to do. They're out. You want to be out. And they, the surgeon comes in and does what they do and fixes you, hopefully. And then you come out and you're okay. Okay? But God is the master surgeon, perfect in all of his ways. And every time he works on us, just like when we're worshiping, when he, we're worshiping, God is working on us. When we're praising God and we're singing in harmony together, when we're gathered, God is changing us. When we're seeking him and walking in the spirit, God is changing us, preparing us for battle. Because there is a battle, both with ourselves every each and every moment of every day, but also with principalities and powers in the world around us. And we have to get stronger because the battle is going to get tougher and darker. That's what it's supposed to be. That's what it says. And so we need to shine brighter too. We need to because we won't be able to stand and our reason is not going to be sufficient. But God is faithful. He's the goodness is this, you have to realize, in the midst of this, God is good. Promise you he will not let you down. Now, there's things he's going to do, and sometimes it's going to be difficult, and it, yes, it will be painful. Our flesh dying is always painful. Always going to be painful. Okay? But you're going to make it through. We may die in our flesh, but live in Christ. And the more we die in the flesh, the more we live in Christ. So I'm not saying it'll always be painful, but there has to be willingness for our part to say, God, do whatever you will. I surrender, meaning I'm going to surrender my right not to feel pain, too, not to suffer. Let's talk about fellowship with suffering. Because the world operates in a different way, and they'll think you're crazy doing what you're doing. Because it says it's foolishness. The cross is foolishness. The world says, what do you mean? You're not doing that? That's crazy. 
You're not going after the brass ring? That's crazy. You're not going after all the status and getting all the toys? That's crazy. What about your future? What about your retirement? You're going to give it to that to help this? That's crazy. Okay, if you want to do that, I'm not going to do that. That's how the world thinks. Okay? But the end, at the very end of the chapter, it talks about who we perform for, who we have to get commendation from. It's not from men. It's going to be from God. So ultimately, the thing we have to look at, in everything that we've read in Scripture, it's always going to be what does God want? What does God want in each of us? What is he asking of us? And it's very clear. Scripture says it over and over. Okay, he wants faith. We talked about that. He wants surrender. He wants a heart that's willing. What is it he says? What's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart. Right? All your what? Mind. All your soul and your strength. Okay? So that means you have to fight for it. So loving God is not always going to be. It's your strength, too. That's part of your will. That's part of that. And so that surrender, that shake up what we think it should be, that's what God's asking us. Redpath says, apart from a mighty awakening and revival in the church, we are fighting a losing battle because we are resisting on carnal levels. The heart that the Meldrums have is to see revival. You get to see that in all the literature. I heard that seven years ago at Pure Life. A passion to see revival come. A passion to see God's presence this on earth. They may have done that because they went to Brownsville and seeing where things are. And they have other things they've sought. That's a good passion to have. Our heart here is to see God revive us. We'd love to see revival. I want to experience, I want to see, I know I'm looking forward to praising God in heaven, but I want to see God here. I want more of Jesus here. I want others to take part of that. I want it to come in such a way that lives are changed and people come and see Jesus and they can join in a fellowship and giving God the praise that he's due. I want to be a part of something that really makes a difference. You know, I did what I did to make a difference. But ultimately, you know, I see people, and yes, I get to help them. But they're going to die. And sometimes it's frustrating telling people, okay, you got to stop smoking. And then I'm seeing her you know, almost 30 years later, and she said, you know, you told me to quit smoking. And she's younger than I am, but looks 20 years older than I am, and about to die because she can't breathe. But that's nowhere near as bad as the people that we encounter who are going to go to hell and be forever separated from God. Nowhere. doesn't even compare. And we see them, dead people walking every day. I work with them. You do. Dead people every day. And I'm not saying you have to fix it. It's not your responsibility. We do need to pray. We do need to be in the Spirit. We need the power of God. So at the right moment when the Holy Spirit is working on them, we are sensitive to what they're doing and we can speak the right word. Other moments, God's going to give us those moments. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Because his heart is for them. Because he wants everyone to be saved. 
We just have to be willing vessels, realizing it's not in our strength, because it's not a carnal, it's not our reasoning. I've got to engineer the conversation. I've got to work things out so that we're all talking about Jesus. That's not what it's about. It's going to be the power of God to me at the right moment. And they go, hey, what are you doing? Hey, you're not doing that anymore. Oh, I'm going to go. And I got to talk, you know, text with somebody, one of the ones I used to work with. And I'm going, you know, come back. You miss us. And he said, yeah, I've got more time. And then I wrote, it gives me more time, I says, to fall in love. That's what I wrote. And then she's about to type back, one of the nurses there. And then I said, with Jesus. Okay, and, and so the point was, that's what I need. I need. We need more time to fall in love with Jesus. And the more we fall in love and appreciate how good he is, and what do we not have to love? He is perfect. The perfect spouse. Perfect in all his ways. And the more we fall in love and trust in his goodness, the more we surrender, the more joy we'll have, and others will see that light in us. And that's where we have the victory, because we're anxious for nothing. We're trusting his goodness, and they get to see him. We pour our lives out like he did for us. And so, I love what Dave Guzik says. Our spiritual weapons are scorned by the world, but feared by demonic powers. Remember that. When we fight with true spiritual weapons, then no principality or power can stand against us. There's no safer place to be than the center of God's will. And if you're following the word of God and doing what he asks you to do, you're in the center of his will. Because I want to know what the will of God is. He said that. Pray continually. Rejoice always. Give thanks in all circumstances. If you're thankful, praying continually, talking to God in communion, in fellowship, whether in your native language that you do or in a heavenly language, that's part of continual prayer because... You may have run out of English words. So, Redpath also said something different that I like, what he said. Um, one of the things we have to realize is the people that we encounter may appear nice, but they're controlled by the world. And the world is on the dominion of the prince of this world. And the prince of the world is the enemy. That he's going to say something negative. Pastor shared with me a message, somebody circulating that was down on Share Life Ministries in Madison Place, and he talked about things. And you get to hear the tone that it's talking about Pure Life was human trafficking. You're like, wow, that's a real stretch. But the point being is the enemy will say words. So you're going to encounter people who will say words that will needle you. Right? And you can point out to them and go, well, I'm not as bad. You're like, you're one to talk. What about you? Or what about that? Why are you pointing out at me? Look at them. Like, don't you hate it when the cop pulls you over for speeding? No, what about those guys? <laughs> They're faster than I was, but you caught me. Right? We all hate that. So we naturally, that's the, what the flesh thinks. Well, were we speeding? Yes. But even if we weren't, have we sped before that we weren't caught? Yeah. 
That we should have been punished? Yeah. <laughs> right? Wow, this time, this time, I was only two. I thought we were allowed grace of seven. Like, come on. Right? Look at us. How we think carnally. People, the point is, God's going to get certain where the enemy's going to say words that will disrupt you, derail you, take you off track. God knows that. That's exactly the moment he wants us to be able to flee. When you show Christ surrendered, loved. Yeah, you're right. I did wrong God. Forgive me. Forgive me. Um, I'm going to read something. We talk about a testimony. Um, you may not know this. Thomas Huxley was a famous British uh, um, agnostic, but really essentially an atheist, um, supported Charles Darwin. And he... Um, Here it is. Right in my front of me, and I'm looking all over. Still here. He says, We're equipped to deal with, and this is from um, Barclay. He says, We're equipped to deal with and destroy all the plausible cleverness of human wisdom and human pride. And we think, and especially some of us who like things intellectual, like to debate and try to figure things out. He says, there is a simplicity which is a weightier argument than the most elaborate human cleverness. Um, Huxley, the Victorian agnostic, was present at a house party. On Sunday morning, it was planned to go to church. Huxley, Huxley said to the member of the party, suppose you don't go to church. Suppose you stay at home and tell me why you believe in Jesus. The man said, but you, with your cleverness, could demolish anything I might say. Huxley said, I don't want you to argue. I want you just to tell me what this means to you. So the man, in the simplest terms, told him from his heart what Christ meant for him. When he was finished, there were tears in the great agnostic's eyes. I would give my right hand, he said, if I could only believe that. God has made every human being that we encounter to be in fellowship with him. He wants everyone to come to repentance. Every single human being. That's the heart of God. That means there's a place within each one. There's a hole. You know, we use the expression, God-shaped hole. There's a hole. And they're not complete until God's within them to the very core. So that's where we need the Holy Spirit to know because the Holy Spirit knows exactly what that person needs. Right? We know the heart's desperately wicked. We have desperately wicked hearts, right? But God searches. He knows our hearts, and he knows that heart. So at that moment, when we're willing vessels, we don't have to argue with the intellect. We have to just appeal to where things are with the heart. But I know. You got me. I can tell you, 
that my life has been radically changed by what Jesus did. My life is not my own. So it's all easy. No, it's not been easy. For me, it's not been easy. Has it been easy for you? I don't know. I don't think so. It's been painful. It's been hard. But I can't imagine life any other way. Research is clearly, stuff is showing over and over. And you look at the world around us, with fentanyl, the opioid crisis, the world is perishing. Look at the, the, the doctrines and the belief and the ideology and woke ideology and all of this stuff. And, and you see this, what's, what's happening with gender identity and preferred pronouns and all that is this world, especially here in the West, has lost its moorings. It does not know what it needs and wants. It's desperately seeking some hope and something to feel real. It's completely dissatisfied, and they're looking in all the wrong places. What do you seem to do? It's what we did. We looked in all the wrong places. Of course they're going to do that. So instead of like, you're bad, you're wicked, you're that, because they are, like we were, and apart from Christ, we still would be. It is mercy. Chesed in, in the Hebrew. The mercy that God has shown us that we do that. And so that takes that meekness, that gentleness that Paul's talking about. He had tremendous mercy for the Corinthian church, and he's asking us to have the same mercy. Have mercy. These people who are suffering, who want to go gender things, and, and, I, and I see the stuff, and I don't like it, and that's crazy, and where things are, but you know they want this, and they're doing that. And it's like, that person is a human being that God wants to have mercy. They need love, and they're looking for the wrong way to do it. So, gentleness and meekness instead of saying well your belief is whack what are you talking about this is against what the bible says it's supposed to be of course it is everything we do that's not of the spirit is against what the bible is supposed to be that's what we do but god knows what we needed and he had mercy on us and that's what he wants with them now we should not be deceived i'm not saying we should support that We don't support fornication. We don't support adultery. We don't support homosexuality. We don't support transgender ideology. It's against the word of God. Okay? Because we have mercy for the people who are suffering in their sin like we were. And that mercy does not mean that we're not bold when God calls us to. He says, you can say, what you're doing is, I know you're hurting, but what you're doing is wrong, and it's wicked against what God. How do you know it's wicked? Because the word says, I was wicked. Let me show you how I was wicked and what God did to change me. So you have to see where things are at the right moment, and that's where the Spirit has to guide you. Maybe bold and speaking strongly. Paul does sometimes. Okay, but he was stronger to those within the body and gentler to those outside. We cannot expect sinners to follow the word of God because they don't know it. Of course they're going to believe that. How could they be differently? We've had this culture idea that we could be like this Christian nation. God has not chosen any nation to be Christian. That's okay. He's chosen a select group of people. That's where the Israelites. That's the only chosen people. And the rest of the chosen people are those who have the Holy Spirit within them. Those are it. 
was a special place for the Israelites, and then those who have the Holy Spirit in them. Those are his people. Does he want all to be part of that? Yes, even the Israelites. Okay, and he plans to. And they won't come to, they won't come, by the way, they won't come to God without through Christ, apart from Christ. So, one of the things we have to get for us to be ready for battle is we have to be prepared. And I've already talked something about the necessity of us choosing the spirit over the flesh when we get up in the morning and continually through the day. Okay? But there's another component that's really part of this. Is this we have to take every thought captive. Okay? So the challenge throughout the day, that's the problem. Who else have had a problem keeping every thought captive? Uh, yeah, every one of us. And that's some of the thinking sometimes is not terrible. Okay, I gotta, we got to do this, and I'm trying to do that, and they're reasonable things. Some of it's our work requires us to do. But it's so easy to get off track, to get into some fantasy, to imagine about other things, to not think about what God wants us to think about. Okay? So we are called to take every thought captive. Romans 12, 2, right? Not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we know that. How are we renewed by our mind? Through the word of God. So yes, I want you to read the word of God. And I, I shared with you and I encourage you, especially those of you who have smartphones, get an audio version of the Bible. Put in your AirPods when you're working and listen to the word of God. Even if you're not paying attention, doing something else and you don't think you're paying attention, guess what? It actually sinks in. Pray. Ask God to do it too. Please be fervent. I won't try to pay attention. But sometimes you're focused on the task at hand. And it's hard to pay attention to that. I get that. You can listen to the word of God. Listen to the word of God. Yes, listen to worship music. And that's good. Praise God. Yes. Listen to the word of God. <laughs> the word comes from what? Faith comes from hearing. It didn't actually say from reading. It said from hearing. Okay? So read the word of God out loud if you want to. Then you also read it and hear it. Okay? The word hearing. I cannot say enough. When I drive... I have it on, I'm listening to um, an Isaiah right now, and it's like, God, sometimes I'm going, where is that? I don't, even I don't remember reading that before. And that's not the first time I've read Isaiah. God brings those things to mind at the right season, the right time. And the more you listen, more things will get in. And guess what? It's the same thing. It's part of that thing where God's fine-tuning, it will change you. You can't always do it, and sometimes you want to listen to music, I get that, or... Your emotions are carried away and you're feeling kind of down and you need to uplift you. I get all that. It's okay to do that. I'm not saying that's the only thing. I am saying, please do it some. Please do it some. Because what happens is, guess what? When we start to wander in our minds, when we start to think in our own thinking, oh, I could do this and I could do that and maybe I'll do that and maybe I could do that and oh, that's kind of interesting and that. And it gets like, we go all over the place. Okay, like a pinball bouncing from bumper to bumper, getting whacked around. And that's not what he's doing because we have to redeem that time. And the first redemption of that time has to be our thought life. Okay, so we've had this, you're here and we're thinking the right things when we're in church together. Let's think the right things when we're at home by ourselves and watching and doing things, interacting with others. Try to corral that in as much as you can. Martin Luther said, you know, the birds will fly over, but you don't have to let them nest. 
in your head. Okay? We don't have to do that. And that's a challenge. That's the first step. And so that says, guess what? We have a helper. And who's the helper? The Holy Spirit. So um, Redpath, again, he had some points. He says, so to take every thought captive, every thought captive in obedience to Christ, right? First, you have to starve. You must starve your mind. The temptations and sins inside your brain thrive on what you feed them. And if you cut off their food supply, they begin to gradually wither. I know a man who, when he checks into a hotel on a business trip, asks that they disconnect the television. So most of us know that. I mean, you know, we, I was talking to Lauren. We had the ability, do we connect the Ethernet to our television set? And we have that ability to do that. We can do that. And I, and I said, does it need to? You watch more YouTube videos. Is that a good thing? No. So we didn't. Okay? Do we have a DVD player we can watch from here? Do we have a TV set that we don't watch them on? I watch my TV. People at work, they talk about TV shows all the time. All the time they talk about TV shows. It's on these things, on your search, whatever, it just comes up about the TV show. So much about media. So that's one thing. Less media, less of the world, because the world has that. So cutting out media is so valuable. Being selective of what enters your thoughts and your mind. What you watch on the internet, on the phone. So challenges, some things you can do. There's some great fire verses if you want to learn scripture memorization. Um, Olive Tree has some great stuff. You can get books on your phone that I encourage you to do. But what you decide to get exposed to is really important. Okay? That's very important to discipline the stuff that goes. That's where part of starving is. Cut out those that are bad. Okay? Feed. Feed your mind. Bible verses what we talked about. First, you're starving. Starving from those things you don't want to be exposed to and feeding only good things. Isaiah 26.3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he, that's the person, trusts in you. Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay, so the mind is so critical. Romans 8, those who live according to the sinful nature have their mind set upon that what nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Um, there's a British missionary who was in Tibet. This was um, in the early 1900s, actually mid-1900s, um, Jeffrey Bull. And uh, he was imprisoned by the Chinese communists. And his captors took away all his possessions. He threw them in different kinds of prisons, robbed them of his Bible, made him suffer terribly at the hands for three years. Three years he was kept in captivity. You know, in Tibet, Tibet's cold. He suffered extreme temperatures, miserable conditions, bodily abuse, and near starvation. Mental and psychological torture that he frankly thought he would go insane. But how he stopped his insanity, how he was able to persevere, is because he had studied the Bible his entire life. So he began to systematically go through the scriptures in his mind. He found it took him about six months to go all the way through the Bible mentally. He started at Genesis and recalled each instant story as best as he could. So you go through this one, okay, yeah, God created the world, and you can remember six good days, and then 
Adam and Eve, and then there's the serpent, and you can go through the steps. Remember the stories. I love Genesis. There's lots of good stories, good stuff. Okay? There's stories throughout. But then you can also talk about the parables that Jesus talked about, and what did Jesus say, and the Gospels. And you've got four different Gospels, three synoptic and then John, basically talking about the story of what Jesus did. So that discipline of doing that, practicing to do that, okay, bring it to mind. They talked about what happened with the Romanian church, okay? So before 1990s, when the communists fell, 1994 for Romania, they used, they memorized scripture and they knew scripture really well. But then after, when they were free to do it and they had it at any time, it's, they lost it. It's like, I know there was life before cell phones, but for those of us who had like the old phones, we had to actually remember phone numbers. Okay, we have to remember phone numbers. Okay, now which of us barely knows our own phones? <laughs> okay, we barely do because we've taken it for granted. There's a discipline. We can't take the word. We have so many Bibles. We have so many translations. Who of us has more than one Bible? Okay, so many Bibles. Okay, some people don't even have a Bible, and so we think it's there at any time. I have it on my phone. I can check. I don't have to bring my Bible to church because right there all the different translations but having that so you do it so you're prepared there may come a time when we won't have access to it seriously there may come a time when we won't have access to the word not that far off not that far off i can easily see it within 10 years i can easily see it within 10 years you may not maybe longer who knows by god's grace but i'm saying and if you go overseas in any missions you may not be able to take it one of the things we went when we went to India is kind of neat thing. We were able to get a little Wi-Fi box, basically local Wi-Fi. You can basically connect in and you can get scripture in your language. So they have some stuff. So you become a local spot. So it's not connected to the thing. The government doesn't know. It's just local. People can see it when they look up Wi-Fi connections and say, oh, what's that? <laughs> Click and they can get connection to that. Okay, which I think is really cool that we can use that. So, But you may be a place where you may not be able to have any of that. And so the more we can wash ourselves the word hearing it the more i do that the more it comes to mind i've as i've shared i've never been great at memorizing scripture i don't know why it's god's i got i think god's teaching me to be humble i can do so many things really well with my with my mind memorize so many medical things so well but scripture always been struggling at this but the more i listen to the word again and again the more it sinks in and the more it comes to my mind so what I'm saying is, this is something that God does. So the other part is, what we need to do, so uh, the last part that Jeffrey um, Bull said is, the strength received through this meditation was, I believe, a vital factor bringing me through, kept by the faith to the very end. It's called When Iron Gates Yield, if you want to read more about him. So we said first part is, starving bad things, feeding good things. Third, take control. Take control of the areas of your life. Um, he mentioned um, that he had a letter from a man from Illinois who told him after he got out of service, he spent a great deal of time driving. And this is a problem. We have a guys with guys who went to Pure Life. So a lot of these guys were traveling, and they would be on their own, and they didn't take control because they allowed themselves to be exposed to what happened. If you're staying at a hotel, you'd be able to watch things on TV and watch things inappropriate and do things. This guy made a clear idea of what he was going to do and not do. So... When you're in a program, when you're in pure life, things are controlled for you. When you're outside, those are new. You have to make, set some standards of what you're going to do. Leonard Ravenhill said, others can, I cannot. 
He didn't say it first. He maybe copied somebody else who said it. Was it Thomas Watson? Okay, I stand corrected. I think I quoted from him before Thomas Watson. Others can, I cannot. He quoted Thomas Watson. Thank you. So, point is, the principle still abides. We have to make some decisions of what we choose not to do. And the limits that we do. Okay? So, So this guy had a plan when he was traveling. First, third of my time, I focused my mind to meditate on scripture passages that I'd read or learned or studied or memorized. The middle portion was spent in prayer, and I took my time in bringing to the Lord every item of praise and prayer. And the last was quietly singing hymn songs of great faith. So there's a discipline. I don't do that in three parts like he does. I wish I did. I read this before. I could have done that. I listened to the word and listened to things. I listened to today's music and I prayed sometimes, but not done it in sequence of all three, which I think actually is a better way of doing it. Creates discipline. Becoming dis disciple is just deciding that's what we're going to do. But the last part that he talks about that I think it's important for us, and we've done that, and I recommend it again, is report in. Report in. That means talk to people. Talk to your brothers. Tell them what's going on, what the struggles you're having. We're going through struggles at times. And what's our challenges? The more we communicate. And the neat thing is, you think you're being a burden by doing it, but you're actually being a blessing. Because there's never been a time that somebody hasn't talked to me that I go, thank God, thank you for me doing that. I had that this afternoon. It's like, I needed that. I needed that. I was too much of an adult not to seek help. They asked for help, and I got help, which I needed. So you may be doing it thinking you're imposing when actually you're being the blessing. What's that? Yes, exactly. It's not a bother. Talking about things of faith that you, we need is never a bother. Because it brings us together in the spirit. It's a blessing. Now, sometimes you can't always do it, and it gets kind of crazy. And, you know, if you happen to talk to me two minutes before I'm coming up here to share, probably not the best time. <laughs> okay? So respect that when the person's up there, Papa. But afterwards, in touching base, there's time and making things up because it's usually beneficial. Now, I want, you to I want to tell you about something about the power of the word. And if you know about Alexander Solis, Solzhenitsyn, I can never pronounce it, Solzhenitsyn, Solzhenitsyn. He, wrote he wrote the Gulag Archipelago, and he talked about what's happening with communism. And I let you know this because the stuff that happened, a lot of that stuff is happening in our nation here, okay? And we have to be mindful of that. But he talked about the testimony. So he was in a Siberian prison camp. Have you heard about Siberia? It's kind of cold, kind of like Tibet, probably colder, okay? And he was being examined one day by a Jewish physician who had been one to Christ. So this Jewish, really a Messianic Jew now, a believer, noticed the misery in this guy's Solzhenitsyn's eyes. So I'm going to murder his name. But the doctor told him his story, his testimony, including his faith in Christ. Solzhenitsyn came to faith through the doctor's testimony and survived to tell the world about the power of the spirit over human evil. What an incredible example of waging war by the weapons of the Holy Spirit. 
our testimony of what God has done for us, people cannot argue. People cannot debate. So that's the weapon that we have, is to talk about the goodness of God and what he's done for us. So that's what I was afraid of. You know, we went through the first, you know, six verses of chapter 10. I didn't get through the other part, but we will. It'll talk about the authority. But I want you to remember this part again and again, this part. And we'll talk some more. There's, there's disciplines we have to do, but God is faithful. We are not alone in this. When you cry out to God and ask for help, he's there. Every time, bar none. We just don't ask enough. It's not like he goes, oh, you again. How many times do I have to go through this again? Okay, we have kids. Those of us who are parents, we have kids. You know, they ask you the same thing over and over again. And you're like, sometimes you may get a little weary, but God never gets weary for us. He loves it when we call out to him. Please do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being an amazingly good God. You want to do only the good things within us, Lord, and we trust in your provision. So we pray that you have your way, Father. We pray, Lord, that we would be bold about what you've done. Bold, grateful, trusting, and just allowing you to have your way with us, Father. Have us more deeply surrendered to you, trusting in you and walking in your ways, that you might get every bit of the glory you deserve because you deserve it all. In Jesus' name, amen.